the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We are at episode 345. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Bill Bennett. And I'm Ed McKnight. Welcome along to the show, guys. Great to have you here. Now, um, Ed, we'll start with you. Where do you fit into this world of technology and podcasting? Yeah, sure. So during my day job, I am the partnerships manager at a little tech firm called uh, Hatch. And at Hatch, we're kind of in the digital automation game. We were helping visionary business leaders focus on the stuff that really adds value to their businesses um, and building custom web platforms. Um, And then in terms of the podcast side, I have literally just released last night the New Zealand Young Professionals podcast. Fantastic. Yes, and it was uh, was a great launch. We'll have a chat about that uh, later on towards the end of the show. Um, and Bill, I think most of our listeners know you, but for any new ones? Um, I write about technology and business um, for anyone who pays money. For <laughs> 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 um, I'm a freelance and um, I do stuff on my own site as well. Well, it's always good to have you on the show, Bill. So thank you for uh, for making the, the journey in to, uh, to join us today. Now, first up, I thought a couple of things, and these are very much in your uh, line, Bill. We're talking about uh, telecommunications and um, I guess the second stage of the UFB project, and that has already kicked off, even though we haven't, you know, we haven't finished the first stage, which yeah. finishes up um, by the end, officially by the end of 2019. Uh, but already, I think, what is it, about six weeks ago, the uh, the second stage of the UFB project has sort of kicked off. Yeah, and, kicked off um, in, the west, in the west coast of the South Island. Yeah. Um, and um, there are a few places that where the second stage is already being built. Um, the main project was, as you say, was due to finish the end of 2019, but the um, I think Enables finished building Christchurch. North Power finished ages ago in... Fongaray, but then North Power had half a network built when it started. Yes, very convenient. Um, the real slower ones are going to be the big cities, Wellington and Auckland, which are still um, – Auckland, I think, is only just about 66% of the way through. Yeah. Um, and, it's going to, and it's going to be the last place to finish. But um, Chorus tell me that it's going to, the whole project is going to finish ahead of schedule, probably um, could be a few months ahead of schedule, that – um, you know, we're, we're, we're tracking well. That's good. That's good. Well, I mean, I've, I've come across more and more people who are telling me, oh, I'm on UFB already or, well, or it's being built story. in my, in my story street. It's very strong. I mean, mm. I think um, people have been taking UFB when it comes down their streets really quickly, whereas in the first few years, the uptake was quite slow. But um, two things have changed. That One is there's a kind of network effect where people – know that other people have got it and it, yeah hell it's good so that, so it's time to go and get it but the other thing is, of course is netflix and there was a there's a real inflection point when um netflix went legit in new zealand um and if, if you look at the graph of uptake there's that you can actually see that point quite clearly lightbox as well actually there was there was a earlier inflection point when spark began lightbox but the really big one was of course netflix now um the thing about the second stage is that a lot of the places that are in the second stage are quite small towns. So last week, the communications minister was in Levine, 
um, in Manawatu. Um, I think, is it Manawatu? I think it Manawatu is. Manawatu. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, it's, but it's just north of um, north of Wellington. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and um, um, they finished their build then, mm. and um, they announced they're moving on to Otaki, which I think Otaki's already started. And Otaki's on the second phase, and it's one of the smaller towns. It's the filling-in phase. Um, and it turns out it's actually quite easy to build in some of these smaller towns. So Otaki's only um, 3,000 connections. I think Levin was about 8,000 connections. So some of those smaller places are going to get UFB before suburbs of Auckland. Which is um, which is ra- rather nice for those people who, you know, when, the fir- when UFB originally got announced – they were, you know, they were sort of out in the cold to a, yeah. uh, to a degree. And, 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 and now and uh, they're, work, they're getting they hooked up quite quickly. About it, you yeah. know, as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and fair enough too. The, uh, the, the thing about the, the original UFB was in theory supposed to reach about 75% of the country and that's mainly people in the bigger towns. Um, the second phase is going to take it up to around about 82, 83% maybe a little higher yeah, yeah um, i think 85 is the number i've heard yeah 85. most re- most recently but you know you, you do yeah. get some um, uh, realistically fiber can probably go a bit further into the what wops um mm. and so we could probably get it up you know approaching the 90 percent mark um and that may happen depending on how the rural broadband mm. um second phase of rural broadband plays out um so we'll probably have a you know a really good fiber coverage. I mean, you've got to remember that the copper network reached about ninety nine percent of the population. So um, to get copper to get fiber to about ninety percent, I mean, the last ten percent is always going to be wireless. It's, wireless is a much better way of reaching those people. The question is really is whether that whether the eighty five to ninety percent um, group is better served by wireless or fiber. And and of course we've got that uh, coming next generation of uh, satellite satellite based internet connectivity as well. And you know we, we've we've heard uh, you know a number of companies that are uh, investing pretty heavily in that and are going to deliver you know, a lot more satellites that are going to be much closer, so it becomes more practical. And then you've got some of these yeah. other sort of you know stratosphere based. Uh, Concepts but, but, that are being played around with yeah, by Facebook I, and, um, and Google and others. Yeah, yeah, of course, and that that means that no one's not going to have coverage for sure, hmm. right? The problem with satellite is is um, anyone who's seen the used to use the old Sky TV network is rain fade, hmm. you know, hmm. and hmm. that will be more of an issue on a broadband connection than it might have been on a um, TV connection as well. But um, but you know. Rain fades a small price to pay if you're in some, um, you know, down some uh, gully or a, a valley a long way from a road, a long way from a fibre mm. connection and so on. Mm. Um, then you're certainly going to be able to watch you know, Game of Thrones on your satellite connection <laughs> <laughs> and connect to Netflix. So, so yeah. yeah, so everyone's going to – everyone in New Zealand will have a, a fast broadband option within – Probably about another five years, I'd say. Hmm. And I love it in particular that they are going into small towns. I come from a small town myself of just 10,000. I remember in the first rollout of uh, UFB, uh, how proud I was that little old Harwara was was in the first phase of the rollout. Uh And arguably, these people in small towns of three to 8,000, 
they're the people who need to be connected almost most of all. Well, well, the, uh, there's some evidence that the places that are um, taking the most data are, in fact, you know, not they're not your posh suburbs. They are the um, um, the outer suburbs and so on, mm. where people have, haven't got access to other forms of entertainment so much. So um, yeah, so it's 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 it's, it's, it's quite a democratic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, moving on to discussing uh, also in the in the area of telecommunications, IoT networks. Bill, you've been blogging about this. It's been up on uh, your website, BillBennett.co.nz, yeah. and you've been getting quite a f- you know a few comments. Of course, um, uh, well, you 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 uh, spent some time with uh, with Tony Baird in the in the last uh, week or so, uh, and some of our listeners will have heard uh, the episode where I, ch- I chatted. To, uh, to Tony, but uh, yeah, since Vodafone started talking about that, Spark have been talking about what, oh. what, uh, what they're doing as well. It was quite um, amusing because the um, uh, Vodafone issued a press release on Monday morning last week and about three hours later there was a Spark press release, um, which is, you know, it means they must have been ready. They, had, they obviously had their, their plans ready. They just weren't prepared to announce them probably until they had to but um what's clear in the last week or so is that the two big mobile companies have got a vision have announced their plans to to uh, reach into the um, um internet of things they're going to build their own networks it's the similar kind of idea to the existing networks the two ones which are um i think you pronounce it thinkstra um but it's Thin Extra, mm, X-T-A, mm. I think. And um, the other one is CoherNet, I think it is, which is uh, the one which is Vikram Kuma's business. Right. Um, those two um, those two networks are kind of established and they're very much um, low-power um, devices, um, wide area network coverage and so on. Well, the, the phone companies have got the same low-power plans but their use the technology they're using is loosely based on lte so um, um vodafone for example is positioning its offering as a premium mm. internet of things thing mm. the um the thing about sparks offering now is this is interesting the way they've split out because vodafone's a multinational so it has access to what's going on in the internet of things in a lot of countries around the world i mean vodafone will have an international internet of things group within the business um and lots of expertise to call on from just about everywhere um spark on the other hand of course is very much a new zealand business it doesn't have a overseas headquarters or anything Um, but spark's approach is to tie it very closely to their own big data operation with um curious yes so um so they're, they're taking two different paths they've each they've each got a plan and they've each got a strategy um which is quite clear. The interesting thing, I think, is that we, we will have four networks to choose from, and they'll each of those networks will be differentiated in one way or another. So um, we have more competition in the Internet of Things than we do in mobile phones, for example. Well, that's very interesting because all the predictions are that uh, we're going to have so many gadgets that are connected up over the over the years ahead and it's going to be you know many of those devices 
won't necessarily need the same sort of uh, you know bandwidth as yeah. our smartphones and oh they'll be uh, they'll be and, and, of and what so they on need. right yeah. so uh, so so these IoT or Internet of Things networks um, yeah really I guess create the opportunities for uh, for very low cost uh, connectivity and uh, enable there to be lots and lots of devices. Uh, yeah, you, you need know. different levels of it. I, th- I think there's a couple of things. I think one of the things is that um, there's been a bit of the industry having those dollar signs in its eyes, you know, the Uncle Scrooge McDuck diving into piles of cash <laughs> when, they, when, they, um, when they look at the idea of 50 billion devices being connected to the network and so on. But, you know, 50, the thing about 50 billion devices is, yes, there are, and yes, each one of those devices will be spending some money connecting, but it's going to be 50 billion times not very much. Um, so I, and, and the fact that we've got four networks in play means that I, I think you can assume that margins are not going to be huge that business so it's going to be a big business and a very important business but it's not and it's going to be lucrative because of the scale but it's not going to be a high margin business it's not going to be a lot of fat there um the other thing uh, i think that is um um i think is inevitable is that at some point you're going to start seeing some consolidation i mean how it consolidates so i have no idea but the um the other thing i think we can pretty much assume is going to happen is we're going to have to move a lot more data processing out to the edge of the network um, to be closer to sensors because I, I was at a function a couple of weeks ago which was run by um, two ants where we had a guy from Nokia talk about Nokia's plans for the internet of things and he said a couple of things that are really um, really relevant one is that the speed of light isn't fast enough and by that he means that you know if you're in a Volvo and you're driving around Fjordland, you don't want your um, car to actually ask someone in Sweden for permission to stop. <laughs> of course not. Yeah, you've got you've got to have a fair fair amount yeah. of uh, smarts that are there, and it's got to be close the, to the, the yeah the point of in your device. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the, that's that's one of the things, and the. Um, um, Oh, I forgot what the other thing is now. <laughs> Maybe we'll come back to you. Yeah. Well, just while we're on that, if we're talking about why there are four players in this industry, it probably comes back to barriers to entry. That if you're in a in a small market that has massive um, potential for growth, that's not as competitive as entering an established mature market um, like what Two Degrees did mm. in the mobile market. Um, and it, it kind of also sounds like the infrastructure requirements to enter this market are lower relative to, to when two degrees came into that market. You're potentially looking at me like that might not be true. Um, it depends on the technology used. I think I, I think some of the networks are, have lower um, capital expenditure costs. And there'll front. be different focuses yeah. in terms of coverage yeah. as well, mm. right? If you're focusing on on hitting the main CBD areas yeah. and that's your, that's your focus, whereas you imagine that, you know, Vodafone and Spark, hey, they're everywhere already, so they will do that. But you'll have lower cost players mm. who are, you know, making sure that they connect up the, you know, say the large majority of vending machines and, you know, whole, yeah. all, all matter of, mm. of things that, are, that they, can, they can actually get a big chunk of business just by hitting those big population areas, and they can be very competitive, uh, focused on the, those spaces. And I, and I think the um, Vodafone is very clearly going to be focusing on dealing with multinationals and large corporations. I mean, Vodafone has a partnership with Fonterra, for example. Um, 
the other thing is um, that Vodafone and Spark will be using licensed spectrum. I think the other, I'm not certain about this, but I think the other two networks are using unlicensed spectrum, um, which will possibly come under regulation at some point as well. So there are all sorts of issues like that in there. But the thing is, is what we have is we have a viable market. We have competition and it's game on. Now, Spark and Vodafone won't actually start operating their networks until about this time next year. So, um, so the other guys have still got you know a bit of a, a bit of a lead on them, mm-hmm. but you know the big guns are in the game now, and it's, it's it, it'll be a completely different game. But in a way, the, the, their, their entry legitimises the smaller players as well. Mm. Yeah. Now, moving on to another story, this headline um, caught my interest, and uh, it was Russia threatens retaliation if US bans uh, Kaspersky Lab. And, yeah, of course, it was only a few episodes ago uh, that I chatted with Eugene uh, Kaspersky, who's the uh, uh, billionaire founder of um, Kaspersky Lab. And uh, although he was, yeah, he was a little bit uh, cagey on uh, on at least one of the one of the questions I I asked him. Uh, it was st- it was interesting to have this chat with him, and and certainly over the time um, that I was I was with him, there were there were a few bits and pieces that came up around them operating in the uh, in in the US. And being a you know, being a Russian company, you can imagine, uh, yeah, there probably would be some challenges there. But it's uh, yeah, it's interesting to see that uh, um, that now uh, there have been some um, you know comments from uh, uh, government level in uh, in Russia saying that they they will uh, you know retaliate if uh, Kaspersky gets sort of banned from US government organizations but I'd be very surprised if there would be many US government organizations that would uh, uh, be particularly keen and have gone down the track of uh, running uh, Russian um, you know cybersecurity or anti anti virus and anti malware software anyway I've I've um, I've sworn a vow not to talk about American politics for a while so, <laughs> so, so I'm not going to enter that but what I would say about this is there has been whispers about Kapersky for ages about their connections with um, FSB and um, other organisations in um, in Russia. Um, whether that's fair or not, I don't know. The thing is, is that the the rumours, you know, there, there's definitely a rumour. Um, I'm amazed it's taken the Americans this long to figure that out. Well, my my impression was that generally that their software just wasn't well accepted within the US, particularly at a government level, anyway. So, yeah, you know, I'm not sure that they need to have necessarily have uh, some sort of an an official line on it. Uh, you know, I guess we've seen similar things between the US and uh, um, you know Chinese companies such as Huawei, where uh, yeah. yeah they've they've not been well, uh, they've not been you know treated as a as a first class. Uh, uh, you know, citizen within the market, and you can understand from the US's perspective. Well, they you know back their own stuff. Then financially, that's kind of good for their their country. And uh, you know, we've even seen it between you know in a, a very different basis between New Zealand and Australia, um, where you've got you know maybe fake things that come up to uh, to protect the the local uh, the local markets i think it was apples in australia where the australians wouldn't take new zealand yeah. apples for a very long time oh, with some That's some just, thinly veiled yeah. sort of excuse now there's obviously some other aspects yeah. here other than protectionism mm. yeah. um, that that are at play and 
it's you know it's pretty complex to to know. And if you know if you're talking cyber security, well, you you want to minimise well, risk in as many ways as you can. Okay, well, I, I've been writing about technology for a long, long time, and there used to be a list of countries which the US was not allowed to export. Um, high high technology to things like crazy computers and so on. That's right. Yeah, but, for a um, long, long time. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it uh, no, in the last last couple of years. But no. I remember even five years ago, you yeah. would still see this software cannot be exported to. And as you say, that yeah, list of countries, a, a long list of countries. Yeah, and um, um, so I, I don't know. I think we. I think probably people got a little relaxed about all that for a while, um, but. Well, yeah, it's pretty but, hard to c- control, isn't it? You so, know, if someone's on the list, they, they can still get hold of it. So I, I, I can imagine how this is going to work, right? So uh, the US bans Kapersky Labs. What's the Russians going to ban? They're going to ban, I don't know what, McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it, it, it's quite possible that will happen. There's there's actually, um, I'm guess, I'm, this is not breaking my vow about US politics, but there is something very protectionist about the, Trump administration um, they're very much running an America first trade policy and which, which that, Trump's been pretty open about yeah right? but that has huge implications for every every tech industry every industry that's based on IP and so on um, if that game begins um, let's put it this way banning Russian antivirus software is not going to be the end of that one it's going to be awful. Um, and New Zealand might get caught up in the middle of that a little bit. I mean, we're already in a sort of bit bits, um, stretch with our loyalties between our great trading friends in China and our great defense friends in the USA. You know, we're, we're a little bit picky in the middle with some of these fights. Yes, well, if people want to delve in more into uh, politics, that's uh, that, that's where uh, Ed has spent a lot of time over his uh, last, well, the the first few episodes of uh, of his new podcast. So um, um, those episodes are still coming out. It just launched yesterday, but uh, there's a lot about what's happening more in the New Zealand politics front there. Uh, but we probably won't dive too far into that today. Otherwise, we're not going to uh, we're not going to get enough time to uh, to jump through. Our comments, Ed. Was there anything you wanted to add on that before we uh, we dive on to the next uh, uh, there subjects? Were, were a few things. I was just going to say that this is for me more of a political move than anything else because um, Bill's definitely right that it's more of a tacit ban anyway, and it's understandable because you've got to look at the cost of. For whatever reason, no matter what that risk is, that if the Russian government got into the U.S. systems, um, that the cost is just astronomical, and that that's why they'd, they'd look to do that. Um, that the the exporting one is always uh, I always think is a bit of a laugh because you could say say the iPhone you've got in your hand there, Bill, that's manufactured there in China. Yeah, China. So, but all the value was created in California because the value's in the design. And it's the same if you're... Uh, there's a lot of products that are manufactured in Mexico but designed in the US. And so all the value has been created in the US, but then under some of Trump's policies, um, he'd be discouraging um, those imports from Mexico, even though the value's really in the US, yeah. not in the assembly in Mexico. And, and interesting. Speaking of Mexico, I spoke to a um, a startup founder the other day who's uh, an an Australian, and I was thinking I'd be calling him, or you know, he was probably based in Silicon Valley because he's got a startup that's doing very well. 
and uh, you know they've got their uh, you know varying uh, funding rounds that have come in, and you know he's looking to build this very big business. And so I thought, well, he'll be, he'll be somewhere in San Francisco Bay Area probably. And I got chatting. I said, well, where are you right now? He said, uh, Mexico City. And I said, what are you doing in Mexico City? And he said, well, it's just worked out from uh, getting access to uh, to visas and so on that it was easier for him to be in Mexico City. Now I don't know if there were other there were other reasons, but it's obviously quite close for him to hop across the border and you know get into the U.S. A flight from Mexico City to San Francisco is a lot uh, a lot quicker and a lot uh, cheaper than a flight from say Sydney or Melbourne to mm. uh, to San Francisco. Uh, but there's the first time I've I've come across that. Usually, you talk to people with 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 startups that are you know focused heavily on the US, and they tend to be around um, you know somewhere in the US, I, and, and quite quite commonly uh, yeah, in California. I mean, I, look, if you're a startup, you want the cheapest possible premises, the cheapest possible everything, you know, because you're a startup. You don't want to be. Being, San Francisco must be one of the most expensive places to have real estate in the world. Yeah, it, well, it is. It's 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 crazy expensive there, yeah. which is which is why I was yeah thinking, oh, this this actually might be uh, might be quite a smart way oh, to I, uh, I, to not burn through your cash. It I, also depends on who on who he's targeting with his product. I can't I can't remember if you've already said what his business was, but if he's looking for very popular cities, I mean, Mexico City's got got millions and millions of people. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, now on to uh, on to other topics. Uh, Lots and lots going on in this world of uh, electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, and in fact we have a new podcast uh, due to launch in the next few days on that front, uh, so we'll have full details uh, next next week, I hope we will be able to um, uh, share full details on that. Uh, but over the weekend we saw the, uh, the very first uh, Tesla Model 3 roll off the production uh, line, SN1 for serial number one, and uh, that has apparently gone into uh, Elon Musk's uh, garage. So there's a bit of a backstory on how, why he ended up with the, the first one, which we won't delve into. Um, but yeah, things looking to move ahead. What we haven't seen yet, though, is the the real cost for what it's actually going to mm. going to cost here in New Zealand for those vehicles. Uh, they must have released that to the initial bunch of customers because there's about thirty people that are getting it uh, uh, this month. But also uh, on the uh, the front of Tesla, uh, South Australia uh, in South Australia, um, they will be Tesla will be installing what will be. Uh, the largest um, battery in the world uh, to date, and it's something I think 129 uh, millil- milliwatt hour uh, battery system there to address some of the uh, challenges that uh, they've had in um, uh, Adelaide with. Well, disruption to the to the power grid basically, and so having this battery will uh, will give them a um, you know a fair degree of, of coverage to reduce those um, those mm. power outages. We've got, we've got some big batteries here. We call them hydro lakes. Yeah, <laughs> they're uh, they're pretty good, aren't they? It's, yeah, it's yeah. a pretty smart way to uh, to be. They mm. don't always have as much water in Australia as we have here in That's New Zealand. That's true. Though. I mean, Tesla's a funny one because in all of these articles, they uh, the journalists seem to hint that. Um, 
it's overvalued, that the company is overvalued. And they keep comparing it to the likes of BMW or Volvo or um, any of the other car companies. But it comes down to what are you defining Tesla as? It's not your traditional car company. So you can't just look at what its sales are because here it's proving that it's um, it's an energy company. It's something else. And so it really comes down to what you're defining it as. And um, I wouldn't uh, constrain it, knowing Elon Musk and what he's capable of and what his visions are, um, I wouldn't constrain it just to a, a simple car company and try and value it based on those metrics. One, one of the things I've been watching recently is how um, what the rest of the motor industry has been doing in response to this. And they're actually moving very quickly. Um, Which is a, a, a bit of a shock for the motoring industry because they never yeah. used to. Well, Volvo's <laughs> just announced that um, um, from, I think it's from... 2019, 2019 isn't it? 2019, yeah. yeah. That there will be no more petrol-only cars. There will be hybrids and electric vehicles only. And all the big motor manufacturers are moving in a similar-ish direction. Maybe not quite as fast as Volvo, but at, at a clip. I read something over the last couple of days which was saying that um, electric vehicles will be the norm far, far sooner than anyone predicting. I mean, the, officially, the prediction is they won't be the majority vehicles until something like 2040. But I think it's, I think we're going to get reach that, reach that point much, much faster. I think there's, there's going to be a tipping point, rather like uh, Netflix with fibre. Something's going to happen. But one of the things that's going to happen quite soon is you're going to see the effects of electric cars on the traditional uh, petrol distribution industry and so on. It's going to be hard, you know. It's it's, it's going to it's, it comes a point where the petrol retailers are going to start suffering because there's so many electric cars on the road and so on. Um, so I, I I think that you'll see uh, the tipping point will come much, much sooner than another 25 years. I agree. I agree. And, uh, and I mean, w- w- there was one um, one region where it was suggested that they would be, um, you know, banning combustion engine, uh, yeah. you know, vehicles by, uh, by, by 2040, I think. I think where Hong was Kong's that? Hong Kong's got some plans um, like that as well. Yeah, I'm forgetting where, where that was. But we're really just seeing so much movement here. And, yeah, I think it's fair to say that, you know, Tesla have have been you know such a key player in terms of creating that acceleration because mm. uh, well they they they're doing incredibly well. People are very interested in them. They're a little bit like what Apple did to the smartphone. Well, I was gonna, uh, I, I, I was going to come to that exact point. The analogy with Apple is a very good one. And the question is 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 Tesla the Apple of this era, or is it something like digital research? You know, which led pe- which led the very first wave of the PC thing, and then just faded away. Mm. Which one of those two is it? Is it the Apple? Um, I think a lot of people are assuming that it's the Apple because it's just got that kind of buzz about it. But it it may, it may not be. It may be that at some point Tesla becomes like a technology provider to the industry rather than its own brand. I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm just. Well, there's there's so there's so much competition to them yeah. in so many areas, and also what we're seeing is the co- commoditization of of so many things yeah. coming out of uh, you know so many products that are able to be manufactured far cheaper in China. So well, yes, Tesla are sort of you know doing some amazing work in batteries, but there's also you know manufacturing plant, plants in other parts of the world. Well, I, the other thing is is I, I've I've not driven a Tesla, and I've, I've don't really know the brand that well as you know, other than what I've read about it and, and so on. But 
um, you know, my experience of American cars is they're pretty crappily made compared to Japanese cars. <laughs> That's <laughs> beside the point. It's a lifestyle product. Well, yeah, maybe, but maybe, but you know, um, they will have to have a reliable product. At, yeah, at some I'd point. Like, I mean, I, I just think that we're all focused on Tesla here, but there could be a Chinese or a Japanese manufacturer that will be. Which will be the winner. That's know? true. Mm. I didn't realize how cool Teslas were. I thought they were just for nerdy guys like us. Um, but the <laughs> other day, I was at my mother-in-law's house for dinner. Um, and she, she's about 57. And she says, I want a Tesla. And I, I could buy, buy a Toyota, but all I want is a Tesla. And I thought, how interesting that um, the brand of Tesla has has made these cars so cool that um, it's not just us nerdy guys who want them. It's 57-year-old white women. And, and it's not just about the the features anymore right when you've got that sort of brand people just you know the, the without you know comparing like well how does a tesla compare with something else it's that i just want the tesla mm. right well there's, 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 there there's, there's some of that i mean i you know for me the the thing that interests me about tesla as well as the electric is the auto, the, you know, the autonomous aspect and this idea of continuous software updates which i still don't trust traditional Automakers on because they've been so poor at. God, I don't trust the Android phone makers on. <laughs> <software updates. laughs> I mean, well, that's true. The uh, other thing I will true. just mention before we go on is they had a very interesting sales strategy, and um, I'm not. I don't typically buy new cars, so I'm not sure if this is typical of the auto industry. But the pre-order deposit was only a thousand dollars, so it, it's kind of say. A, a way to gauge interest, but B, a way to get that cash flow in. It was a bit and like even crowdfunding, wasn't it? Mm. Well, a little bit. But the yeah. thing is, even if you don't have the money now, so you, you're almost tempted to put down a $1,000 deposit and think, oh, I'll find the money later. And whether you do or not, it's, it sort of forces you to have to later it's on. Like buying a Tesla future or something. Mm. Um, but, well, well um, yeah, look, I think, I think that we just haven't scratched the surface of this topic yet. It's... I mean, you were saying that you're, you like the software upgrades and the autonomous cars. Me, I just love the idea of a car which doesn't destroy the planet, you know. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, that, and, that's, and that's the thing with an electric vehicle yeah. uh, is it's, it's got, you know, so much more to offer in those regards. Now, also down the electric front, um, there's been a solar-powered um, – it's been referred to as a solar-powered family car. I'm not sure it is quite as a, um, um, a, a, you know – there yet, but um, a vehicle from uh, Eindhoven, which is in in the in the Netherlands, which is being shown shown off uh, by the university with their solar team over there, and it looks pretty odd, but it looks a lot more like a a normal car than what we've seen from you know solar based vehicles in the past, which were you know these crazy things that were trying to get across Australia and the and the you know oh, those de- flat things, desert yes. heat and so oh, on gosh. and you know you're lying down in them and uh, and so on. Whereas this actually you know does somewhat resemble a, a kind of a, a futuristic vehicle of uh, of sorts and it you know it's, but it's it's fairly early on but you know it, it's good to see. I guess continued development on something that, if you'd asked me about that, I would have said, "Oh, you're absolutely nuts to think that we can have a solar-powered vehicle that's going to be practical at all." Have you ever have you have you spent much time in Holland? 
There's not I much have. sun there. To have a solar, have. solar-powered vehicle from Holland, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty brave. <laughs> I've done some work in Holland, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, so so that's interesting. And the the other uh, thing which has had a bit of coverage in the last few days, and in fact, was was the focus on my uh, my weekly uh, video uh, last week is electric trucks and self-driving trucks, which. One stat I heard was was suggesting that something like ten uh, percent you know, of carbon emissions are related to the trucking industry, the you know transport industry, and and coming from uh, trucks. So the idea of trucks being electric and uh, also autonomous could uh, could really sort of change the. Uh, uh, the the game for us in those regards. I think I saw something the other day about um, an electric bus in Wellington as well. Um, I think I think they're looking at looking at getting an electric bus in Wellington. Were they autonomous as well? No, not at this stage. No, no. Um, I love this kind of thing because we at Hatch obviously we're all about automation, and it's always incredibly interesting getting into discussions about when you um, implement automation like this. It allows people like these truck drivers imagine what else they could do with their time or what other jobs they could do if they didn't have to drive drive trucks all day yeah i I, look i think i think that's nice and optimistic but i'm and and i'm and i know that every time in the past when this has happened it has worked out that way but the disruption just imagine disruption i mean i you know maybe maybe that's why people have been voting for extremist parties in western democracies they fear this is coming down the down the chute. I just think we're in, we're in for some major disruption as that happens. A we, lot yeah. of jobs are tied up in things like trucking. But there are opportunities to to you know to address that. And you know, I think you know for years we've dreamed of oh look, it would be great if we only had to work you know Wouldn't a couple of that? days a week yeah. and you know things like that. So I think we will find solutions to uh, you know to the, the the negative sides of disruption. But I think there will be uh, there'll be plenty of positive sides. But, but it is the, going to be, be there'll be a lot of political chaos. There, there is going to, there needs to be a political component to find. Yeah the right outcomes i don't think we've found found them yet in terms of i guess the things that i've heard to date around uh, the idea of a of a universal yeah. sort of wage i'm not sure that what we've landed on or that that people are trialing in, in some parts of the world on that are quite the right fit but i think over time we will find those we will find those sort of right mediums that incentivize people to be doing doing things but you know don't leave them out on the street with uh, with nothing but there's there's still work to do that's, well, that's my feeling anyway it's really interesting our managing director at hatch um cody and i were were in a bar and we ended up talking to this guy who ended up being the european ambassador to new zealand and we got talking about automation and at the end of it he said you know what it's a little bit like candlestick makers who didn't see the light bulb coming well, yeah, or journalists who didn't see the internet coming. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, nobody would ever say, "Let's get the horse and plough back," because you know, and replace it um, to replace no, the tractor. I, no, and I'm and I'm and I'm I'm not arguing it. I'm just I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I'm just saying that we need to accept there's going to be some disruption when we when we get that happens. Yeah, mm. and um, and in fact, there's you know, there's already autonomous uh, trucks that are being used in varying industries like the mining industry, yeah. whether you know, off traditional roads, whether it's uh, you know, deep 
deep underground, uh, you know, quite often safety are benefits. But by joysticks, or, by guys sitting at a desk with a joystick. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, the, I think, uh, well, one of the ones that was, um, you know, that, that's been in the media over the last, uh, f- you know, few few days uh, is this company Enride from, uh, from Sweden. And their view of it was you have somebody, you know, sitting back at base, uh, there's there's no there's no cab space for anyone to actually sit up front in the in the vehicle, and you have somebody sitting back at base that's actually able to kind of you know jump in and a little bit like uh, you know flying a drone where you get that first person view. You know they'd be able to see screens that you know represent a whole bunch of vehicles and so on. If if there's something you know critical, then you know alert would uh, would come up or push them to that particular. Or you know, watching or controlling that particular vehicle. So there's a whole lot going on. Still, mm. still quite early, but it's exciting to see it uh, developing. It and is. yeah, yeah. There, there there will be disruption, and and certainly the coverage that I've heard around the uh, the mining companies that have gone down this track have, in most cases, I think, been able to redeploy, you know, those people into you know other roles and so on. Uh, I think it is really important for you know young people that are uh, you know studying and so on today are working out what to do mm. that they're, they're, they're building a skill set they're they're learning how to add value rather than you know just uh, um, looking at what's going to make them happy you have to look at how you're going to be valuable within mm. any, any organization you join and, and you're, so on you're both totally right bill that there there is going to be disruption the question is how do we handle that and arguably um, there, there are some great New Zealand entrepreneurs who are kind of already tackling this this problem because it comes back to education, which, which is how do we prepare um, young people for um, the future of work? And that's what Justine Monroe with her 21C um, education and Francis Valentine with the Mind Futures Lab, Tech Futures Lab. Um, there are great New Zealand entrepreneurs who are already trying to tackle this. And Paul and I, watch the space New Zealand, uh, are arguably also going to try and tackle that problem as well. Very exciting times ahead. So, yeah, so lot, really lots, lots going on in that, in that uh, transport area. We'll, we'll keep talking about it quite, uh, quite regularly. Now, one uh, headline that did um, pique my interest was learning that a, uh, a cryptocurrency exchange was, uh, was hacked uh, last week. And this is a um, uh, an exchange where uh, Ethereum and, and and Bitcoin is uh, uh, is traded, and you know people had uh, you know varying amounts of uh, of currency stolen. Now, the numbers that I heard weren't too crazy, but the you know we don't know the real realities of uh, of this situation because it seems to so far have been. Um, um, you know, kept reasonably under uh, under wraps, but a, a company called uh, Bit uh, Hum, who are understood to be the world's fourth largest uh, cryptocurrency exchange from a volume uh, perspective, were uh, hit, and the um, they've they've pointed back to. Uh, somebody hacking in to one of their employee uh, computers and gaining um, access to details of about three percent of their uh, their user base um, over thirty thousand um, users now how they got from this sort of set of data that that had a bit of information around the user base to actually um, stealing cryptocurrency is um, uh, is kind of fascinating, and I haven't haven't managed to locate uh, the full uh, details. But this company has um, 
uh, talked about providing uh, compensation to uh, uh, to those who who lost uh, funds. So, isn't yeah. this what um, blockchain is meant to pr- protect against? Paul? <laughs> well, you would uh, you would think so, yeah. but that's the that's the risk when you've got other other parties that are in the mix and i I've think got, you know there's some there's some good warnings from this and it's not the uh you know it's not it's not the first time that we've seen this type of scenario no, I was say about, about half your listeners will hate me for saying this but the thing about bitcoin and these currencies is they you know they attract a lot of the wrong kind of people one way or another and um you know to the idea that someone that a hacker might want to hack their own, you know, the, the currency. Well, they're probably intimate with the currency already from their other activities. So, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a hive of crooks, but I'm saying that it's something which is a magnet for crooks. Yeah. Um, yep. And um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not at all surprised. Three, two, one, zero. All right. Well, now onto a another subject that's quite fascinating is a new way of being able to um, get into an event. Uh, Ticketmaster have been working on using um, audio transmitted from your phone as a way to, um, I guess, uh, validate you as being able to get into, uh, into an event. This is kind of, kind of interesting, isn't it? I absolutely love this. Um, there, there are so many other opportunities where this could be applied. I'm sure that the guys down at, at Gallagher and the Waikato would be fascinated by by um, this kind of um, security features almost because that's what it is. But back in the day, I used to work for the Auckland Philharmonia Orchestra and we used to have um, occasionally there'd be times where some of the, the ticket patrons would be using the same ticket over and over and over again because they all looked the same, whereas if they were using their smartphones or the type of technology you'd never have that problem I, there's there is one complication with this that i think i should mention um i went to see a band playing i may have been it may have been craftwork when craftwork played at auckland where they wouldn't let phones in and um, you had to leave your it was it was some band or anyway you had to leave your phone at the front when you went in that can't have been 2017, Bill, because uh, they, they would have... You no, know, it, it, it was certainly in the last couple of years. Wow. And wow. Um, and so that's going to have to stop, isn't it? Is that because they didn't want people to pirate recordings? I think they did, yeah, or take photographs or whatever. Yeah, it's pretty hard yeah. to stop that nowadays, though, isn't it? Because yeah. it could be in your glasses, could be in your watch, well, could be, you know, know you can have a device in anything. But yeah, the, this 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 idea um, that basically, yeah, you're you're able to communicate using um, audio rather than the traditional sort of you know near field communications or a, or an e-ticket with a barcode that you swipe and so on. Um, yeah, I find it's it's quite fascinating that we're we're continuing to think up uh, you know new new solutions to uh, to old problems. I'm not sure whether this uh, yeah particular one is is going to be um, going to catch up. Is, yeah, it's going to be is going to be one that gains a lot of a lot well, of traction. But you know, I think the, I think it's it's good to see experimentation. Pro- what problem does it solve? 
And the answer is it's that probably it probably doesn't. I mean, if, unless there's some sort of nuance to this that we're not we're not onto here. Doesn't sound to me like it does. I mean, if I if I go if I want to go on an international flight, I just hold my phone up to the scanner at the um, ticket gate. That's good enough. I mean, if that's good enough to get you on a flight, my word, there's enough security. Yeah, I mean, I guess if if anything that makes it a little bit more seamless, just that it can it can hear it's this kind of di- digital audio phone, signature what, without having to wave your phone yeah. past a scanner, because that actually there is a bottleneck at that at that point of entry. There's usually a big queue oh, uh, yeah, I, I, behind it, right? And if you've got a big like a really big concert, we'll say you're trying to get fifty or, or getting people 50, into Eden Park, fifty thousand yeah. people into those into those sort of yeah. venues. Often the you know the bottleneck is the scanning yeah, process okay. and and those steps. So if you can speak that I up, think when I when I see these technologies, I think okay, that's that's great, but does it solve a problem or is it just is it just clever? Mm. And you know sometimes things are just clever mm. and mm. they wither and die because they're not actually solving anything that was a worry. It it, it, it may well be there's some nuance that we're not mm. we're not we're not privy to. Yeah, the story also seemed to suggest, and correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, that it, these these could be even used to allow cars to drive through. So that if there's a scanner um, way over there somewhere, you can use you'd be able to use this device to to send the audio that way and open gates, and it's got or far. Pay a toll. Yeah, and yeah. pay a toll. Any mm. of these things, I, I'm thinking of when I drive up to to my car um, to my house at night, and the gates are closed, and I have to stick my arm out the window with my remote, <laughs> yeah. and, it's, and it's raining. I tell you what, that's that's a that's a problem there, and I would love to just be able to sit there, send some audio that way, and my gates open and drive through, and I, feel, yeah, and I the, still feel very flash rather than having half a wet arm. But but then it's raining so loudly that the audio signature uh, <laughs> do, do, doesn't doesn't come through. And interestingly. This is supposed to be in a in a um, audio uh, spectrum below uh, twenty kilohertz, uh, where it's inaudible to uh, to you know something like ninety plus percent of the the below twenty kilohertz. Well, what have they got here? They've said. Uh, you mean it's a high spectrum? Uh, that, uh, what do they the say? Audio spot. signals in the. 18.75 kilohertz yeah, and 19.2 kilohertz are and are inaudible to more than 90% of the human population. I was going to say, Paul, high, it's the high frequencies which are inaudible, not the low frequencies. Yeah, I mean, so I, want, I, yeah, I wonder what, yeah. why they're inaudible, really like which is interesting. Do you, <laughs> do you think that they did that perhaps um, because of the whole animal thing? That they didn't want to, want to scare animals or get them to be a little bit hypersensitive to it? Don't know. I do not know. But it, it is guaranteed to be a method to the, the bandits, isn't it? You'll yeah. see bats centering concerts. <laughs> <laughs> Some old bats. Yeah. <laughs> oh, weird. Um, now, one um, one other thing on the kind of the the, the new tech front is uh, Alibaba. Uh, launching their own kind of uh, device that looks like a compete with uh, uh, with Amazon Amazon Echo um, and you know and the other uh, you know devices we've seen from uh, from the likes of uh, of Google and so on, uh, and which is and and, mm. and Apple coming with their uh, their their HomePod, uh, which is a home uh, speaker. With uh, with voice recognition capability and uh, the ability to order goods, actually, on, on my on my blog, and it's about 
a similar story. And my point was is that when I was at school, which was a long time ago, um, it was before 1984, but 1984 was a set book. That's right. And nobody, nobody ever thought that Big Brother, you, you actually, you'd buy your own Big Brother. Yeah. <laughs> um, nobody ever thought that Big Brother would be able to deliver pizza as well as spy on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, it, but, that's, but that's, in effect, it's exactly that. I mean, I'm not saying that, but, you know, we were talking earlier about Kaspersky, Alibaba, um, Chinese, I believe. So people are going to have, what, Chinese devices in their home listening to what's going on. I don't know. I don't know. I certainly wouldn't want to be dealing with my Bitcoin. <laughs> with that thing live in my room. You might lose all of it. Yeah. Well, it almost comes back to something we were going to speak about later in the podcast, which is that Hatch were kind of predicting the demise of the internet, probably pretty much because of these types of devices. Whereas the, the internet? Yeah, well, in, uh, uh, or websites in general, because um, instead of accessing the Domino's site or the Hell's Pizza site now, you just say, Siri, order me a pizza, and gosh, my one's probably going to do it it now um <laughs> and, and it gets gets delivered and we don't actually have to access the, the internet via these these um clunky interfaces anymore or websites in general and I, and I think it's certain it's certainly when we were heading you think of a lot of reasons that you will go you know to a browser sort of looking for information and so on and it's like look this up you know this story that story um you know watch a video and so on and there, there is so much that could be done with a voice mm-hmm. interface, but there are also scenarios where a voice interface isn't necessarily ideal as well. So well, it'll be interesting to see how these things for, land. For years, I mean, I, I, as we have talked about in the past, I've been writing about technology for so long, for longer than a lot of people listening would have been been alive. Um, and for a lot of that time, I've I've written about how when voice interfaces really work and we're at that point now um they're, they're, they're getting there i still have some comical moments in my yeah. car that's for yeah, sure of course, <laughs> but, 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 the, but we're at the point where the technology is starting to really work oh yeah the um then 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 actually there's the hardware will disappear because you won't need i mean you might need a screen to give you some information but you won't need a lot of the hardware in uh, in say that laptop you've got there is actually the interface, it's the keyboard and the screen and the touchpad and so on. So a lot of computer hardware will actually disappear. So so you're right, maybe the internet will disappear, but also so will computers. Well, the, brow- the browser, mm, yeah. more, 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 well, more so much. Definitely I mean, we, screens. We, we yeah. still need the underlying internet to connect everything. Exactly. Together, right? yeah. But the, the, the you know we, we certainly yeah that that thought of of the browser going away. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how you draw timelines on on well, these sorts of things, but certainly in terms of the lessening of the browser, mm. yeah, the, 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 that, that will that will come at an increasing know. rate. I'm I'm sure. Yeah, well, it comes back to what are, what is the internet all for? The web for, and it's definitely all about communication. And is it easier to communicate with a company and, and interact, ask for services via a browser or through um, chatbots or through um, voice recognition? And actually, it probably is is um, the latter. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, 
you know, our podcast listeners are probably ones that are fairly well attuned to the the benefits of voice since they're listening into this rather than uh, you know sitting and 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 uh, just reading commentary through uh, through a browser. And yeah, certainly for me. I'm, you know, I'm very keen on the, you know, the the concepts of, uh, um, you know, us working with voice interfaces, consuming content uh, in a spoken manner. You know, if I'm not listening to a podcast while I'm driving, then it probably means I'm listening to a, a book uh, that I'm choosing to consume and having it read to me rather than uh, me reading it. Right. So uh, we've got that side of it, and you know, I think we're going to see a huge amount of uh, acceleration as. Um, artificial intelligence, machine learning algorithms and so on get better and better and smarter and these assistants become massively you know, uh, increased in terms of their usefulness and, the, and their relevance at the moment. Still, you know, very specific things that we it's use quite them for. Sort of one size fits all as well. I mean, it would be very easy to get a pizza from Pizza Hut through uh, one of these things. But, you know, if you want the pizza from that Italian guy down the road who makes really special pizzas with truffle oil and so on, it might be a little harder. Mm, mm. Oh, no, you just talk to your voice assistant and get them to talk to Uber Eats for you. So, and, and it, but these things will come. In fact, uh, ne- next month I'm in the US at, at speaking at a uh, podcasting conference there and talking about the, uh, the future of how uh, artificial intelligence will change the way we consume uh, content because, you know, yes, we've got that voice interface, but then there's all sorts of other smarts that will be able to, you know, collate together the most relevant information to give us uh, our AI assistant will get to know us very well and understand what information we want when and will help us you know find it we're not necessarily going googling for information then and so we've got to you know start imagining well, what does it look like to consume content when you're not looking at a screen with say 10 results on it you're actually dealing uh, with an uh, you know an AI interface with no screen and do you want it to read out 10 results or do you want it to to you know give you the best inform- information and uh, or do you want it to communicate you know something to uh, uh, to an entity in some way I mean there, there's, there's so much sort of uh, I guess possibilities to uh, to how things are going to look and nice I'm sure we haven't figured them the all out generation, then, yeah. well the thing <laughs> oh, that's possibly me and the thing is that we often have these conversations about that or oh, here's a big societal issue we're going to have to have to figure out about how these AI bots will work when they're, when they're reading things back to us but actually what I think is probably going to happen is one of the major internet players will will just go out, do something, and that'll kind of be the new standard, and then it'll get iterated upon. Now that I think that brings us to um, uh, to the end of our bulk of our topics. But Ed, just keen to introduce our our uh, New Zealand Tech Podcast listeners uh, to Podcast New Zealand's newest podcast, which you are hosting, the New Zealand Young Professionals Podcast. So, um, for those that are that are curious, maybe just give us a, a few highlights of what what to expect, what sort of content is there going to be? Is it just young professionals that it's going to be relevant to? Will other people maybe uh, enjoy listening in? And who are some of the guests that uh, uh, are on your uh, your initial episodes? Because you've already, uh, we've, we've launched with uh, half a dozen episodes, uh, including the introductory uh, one, 
and you've recorded a, a bunch more. So just run us through the highlights. Yeah, sure. So the New Zealand Young Professionals podcast actually came about because I was listening to the New Zealand Tech podcast um, about six months ago, and you put out the call for, for anybody who wanted to start a new one. And so um, I'm, I've always been very passionate um, that young professionals needed a media platform to just ask key questions and represent the, the concerns of young professionals. And so we're asking really interesting questions, and we don't always come up come up with answers but you know we've interviewed the likes of um, Bill English we've actually um, interviewed all of the leaders of New Zealand's political parties um, Bill was sitting right right where uh, where Bill is sitting right now actually the yeah, other Bill that's right and um, we we asked them about what their priorities were and what they would say exactly to New Zealand's young professionals how it's all going to impact them it's not just been about politics I mean the um, listeners of the NZ Tech podcast might be interested to hear from Francis Valentine we had a really interesting conversation with her uh, her that New Zealand's young professionals perhaps don't have the skills for for jobs of the future. And interestingly enough, we've also been talking to NZ's young professionals themselves, talking about their stories and sharing their stories. Um, Sometimes even talking about, uh, I talked to a lawyer about automation and what he thought the the future law firm would look like and uh, hearing his thoughts about that. So if anybody's interested, head along to the uh, NZ Young Professionals Podcast.com or it's now live in the iTunes store or any of your uh, favourite podcast listening apps and also on Facebook we are NZ Young Professionals Podcast. That's good well all the best with that looking forward to uh, continuing to work with you on it Ed and uh, you know I guess the the reminder from uh, from from Ed when uh, he he mentioned it actually uh, last week that yeah it was you know only only months ago that he uh, that he heard me uh, mention that on the podcast if there is anybody else listening who is keen to uh, to get into uh, into launching a podcast then certainly get in get in touch with me and uh, uh, always open to having those discussions and seeing how we can uh, how we can help and uh, and facilitate that well. Um, I think we're we're out of time for this episode, so uh, so that's us. Um, Ed, how do people get in touch with uh, with you if they want to uh, connect? Oh, my favourite place to connect is always on LinkedIn. Uh, I am Ed McKnight, or check out my website. We are edmcknight.com. And look, if you're interested in talking about anything about automation or um, you know tech or anything like that, we are hatch hatch.nz. There's no .co there. Um, www.hatch.nz. Excellent. And Bill? Bill Bennett.co.nz is my site. I've just given it a big makeover, actually. Basically, my theme is getting a bit out of date. Well, there's, there's always lots of good content in there, always good good stuff to read. So absolutely yeah, recommended for people to go and, uh, and, and check out uh, Bill's website. Um, and of course, you're always writing in, in other places and, and, oh, and so yeah. on as, as well. Tomorrow, so. <laughs> yeah. Yep, and uh, and you're on Twitter as, as well, quite yes, quite a lot. Actually, um, yes. I see a lot on Twitter, Bill. Yeah, you can probably see when I'm not busy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know. You seem to fit in a fair bit of activity on uh, on Twitter, Bill. So um, yeah, you you you've managed to to do that very well. Um, and for me, people can track me down uh, on any of the social uh, social networks, but certainly uh, certainly um, Twitter. And um, uh, Facebook.com. Um, my page is now um, 
online, which is where my videos are now going, my weekly videos. So, you know, if you're curious to sort of, I guess, see some of the some of the topics that we talk about here in a, a more visual uh, manner, very bite-sized chunks, I do my weekly three-minute video there. And uh, that's up at facebook.com slash paulspainofficial, uh, which is where my, my page is, um, or slash paulspain for my, my personal page page which I share it on um, as as well on my personal profile well that's us for this week thank you everybody for uh, for listening in uh, as always and we'll look forward to catching you again on next week's episode all right see ya the New Zealand tech podcast brought to you by gorilla technology proactive and strategic IT